Try that again, huh? <clears throat> if you'd like to turn to Colossians uh, chapter 3, we're going to continue in our series this morning. We're going to pick it up um, at verse 12. <clears throat> we have covered some of these verses last time, but we'll pick it up there before we dive in at verse 16. And this is all, remember, working out what it means, chapter 2, verse 6, to walk in Him, to live with Christ Jesus, the Lord, Lord of our lives. 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there's no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Father, may your word fall like rain on soil that is ready to receive it. May the seed of your word penetrate the soil of our hearts. May we receive it as the word of God, not as human opinion. And we pray this for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Imagine that you bought a house which needed a lot of work doing on it. And as you began to inspect the house, you realized that there was more and more work than you ever realized needed doing on it. And in fact, it clearly needed a total renovation. You could see the paint and the wallpaper peeling off in various places as you inspected. Oh, there were damp patches on the ceiling. The water's getting in somewhere. The window panes had a lot of cracks as you looked closely. The window sills, a lot of them were rotten. As you looked at the roof, you could see cracked tiles all over the place. The plaster everywhere you tapped it was just falling off the wall, really. However, you had a friend, a, a rather remarkable friend, a wonderful friend, who, who made it clear to you that they wanted to move in with you as a lodger, which you thought was a bit strange. But they also made it clear that they, they wanted to help with the renovations that were needed. And what is more, they said they would start to pay for them. And they clearly had limitless funds. Not only did they constantly make suggestions for what needed doing, but they, they paid for it, and they did it to the highest of standards. Well, if King Jesus is our Lord, if we're real Christians, then we are exhorted in chapter 3, verse 16 of Colossians to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It's a very interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? For the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. We know that when you become a Christian, God moves into your life. And he doesn't move in merely as a lodger who pays rent, as it were. He moves in as someone who's going to take control and to start to renovate us from within. His word and his spirit start to be active in our lives. I remember being absolutely fascinated when I discovered the parallel in Ephesians to this section in Colossians. So keep a finger in Colossians 3. Turn back two books in the Bible, two letters of Paul to the letter to the church in Ephesus in chapter 5, verse, well, the end of verse 18 and then through 19 and into 20. It's exactly parallel with Colossians 3, which talks about let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Ephesians says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks. Now, do you see the fascinating parallel? For Paul, and apparently it's reckoned he wrote both these letters about the same time from prison in Rome, about 60 AD, he can change quite happily from talking about the Word of Christ and the Spirit of God. So to be filled with the Spirit and to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, well, it's another way of talking about the same thing. As far as he's concerned, there's no discrepancy. It's almost interchangeable. Because one of the things we need to learn is that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are married, if you like. You can't divorce them. So... When we read something like in Colossians 3.18, sorry, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, you could put there, be filled with the Spirit. It's a marvelous insight in my view. Now, it means that 
It means that the word indwelt church, the church where the word is dwelling richly, is a spirit-filled church. Or to put it the other way around, a spirit-filled church will be a word-indwelt church. And the word of Christ here in Colossians 3.16 is probably talking about the message of Christ, about, as Paul has written, about his wonderful supremacy in chapter 1, his sufficiency in chapter 2, his grace and forgiveness, the blood of the cross shed to make peace, as he talks about in 120. And that message of Christ, about Christ, of course, is found for us in the Scriptures. So, it comes to the same thing as saying, let the Scriptures dwell in us richly. Let them come and occupy a place in our hearts and in our life as a church, and to do so richly, abundantly, extravagantly, no expense spared in the renovation. So, the heart of Colossians is two, chapter 2, verse 6, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. And from 2, 7 onwards, the rest of the letter spells out what it means to live with Christ Jesus as your Lord, ruling your life in everything. And it's an exhortation to be transformed, in effect, in every aspect. And we're going to look at these three applications. Apply to church life, apply to family life, apply to work life. If King Jesus is your Lord, let the Word, His Word, the Word of Christ, dwell in you richly, first, in your church life. Now, this is chapter, 12, 17, chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. We've already looked last time at, at verses 12 to 14 that we're to be a loving community with forgiveness at the heart. We're to be, verse 15, a peace-ruled community. Peace is the rule when it comes to making decisions, whether it's personally or as a church. Will this lead to peace in the body of the church? It's not a subjective feeling of peace. It's an objective reality that we're talking about. Look at the, um, the middle of the verse, verse 15. You were called in one body. There's unity meant to be there. So you decide what is going to bring peace to the body of believers? And then the bit we're looking at, verse 16, is that, that in church life, we're to be a word-driven community, if you like. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, gratefully letting the Word of Christ impact richly on our lives. And it's a message, you see, that we'll use. It's not just a kind of theoretical thing, verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another. So when we find a brother or sister who, for example, thinks they're going to find, listen carefully, fulfillment in marriage, we have to say to them, dear brother, dear sister, it's Christ that you need to look to for fulfillment, not marriage. You will be disappointed in marriage if that's the way you view it. No, it's the Lord Jesus Christ you need to find fulfillment in. Or if we find a brother or sister who's, who's looking for security and money, we have to say, dear brother, dear sister, you will never find security in money. You will never have enough money if that's the way you think. You need to find your security in Christ, trusting Him to provide. teaching and admonishing one another 
in all wisdom. The wisdom derived from the Word of God as we search the Scriptures. The wisdom derived from the Spirit of Christ who fills us with the wisdom of Christ. And of course, we don't do it in a, at least I hope we don't do it in a, a superior or censorious way, but in a loving and peace-ruled way where peace is the object. And we do it in our songs. Did you see that? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, some commentators suggest that Paul is saying that this is the only way that he's talking about them, teaching and admonishing one another. I think that may be reading too much in. I think it may just be that singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is so central to the life of the church together. I mean, what have we done this morning? We've already sung three. Got another one to go, okay? Um... And if we turned up next Sunday and I said, uh, we're not going to be singing any songs today, just going to do the other stuff, you'd, you'd be thinking, what? How can it be church if we don't sing? We, we, we come to church, amongst other things, to sing. It's central to our gatherings. It's part of it. You can't take it away. Well, you can, but it's not right to do so. But then the question, of course, is what's the content of what we sing? And this is where it's so important, isn't it? That, and we try to do this, and please keep us up to the mark if you think we're failing on this, uh, to make sure that our songs are full of biblical truth. So that as we sing with one another and to one another, we're actually sharing the word of Christ richly. Yes, singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God, as the end of verse 16 says, but that our singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is part of the teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, that we do that through singing biblical truth to one another. And then verse 17, I think, sums up the whole paragraph. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, what does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus? Well, think of an ambassador who goes from your country to represent your country in another country. And they are sent on behalf of the country. And when they arrive, they're received on behalf of the sending country. So when they speak, they're speaking for that country. As they're observed in their behavior and their attitudes, it's assumed in the receiving country that those are representative of the sending country. And so we, if you like, are acting not in the name of a country or a people or a state, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when people observe us, they think, ah, this is a representative of the Lord Jesus. Let's see what they say. Let's see how they behave. And the answer is, in everything we do in word and deed, they should be seeing something that's done representing Jesus Christ. And full of gratitude, we should be grateful people. It's one of the things that should mark us out in a society which is so ungrateful. And we should be people full of gratitude. And we do it, verse 12, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. We are very privileged people. How thankful we should be. And it changes everything with Christ as your Lord, with his word dwelling richly in your life and in your corporate life as a church. So be transformed in church life. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Secondly, be transformed in family life. 
verses 18 to 21. Now, we can have a very sentimental view of families, can't we? And maybe you also have a, what I would consider a distorted view of what it means to be at home. You know, you can say, oh, home's a place I just shut the door and I can be myself. Well, that's a disaster waiting to happen, isn't it? Be yourself, please, don't be yourself. We know what you mean. It, it's where you don't have to sort of put on a show and, and in that regard, understand, but not in terms of being your rotten banana self. You have to ask someone later about yesterday. But there is something in us which is still, as Christians, we've still got that rotten banana inside us, haven't we? That nasty old sinful nature which means that actually if we let our guard down, if we don't think about what we're saying, for example, you say, I'm just going to say the first thing that comes into my head because I'm in my own home. Well, you try that in your marriage if you're married. You try that with your family. It's not going to end well. No, we need to continue to be godly inside our front doors because families can be places of terrible hurt and conflict and darkness. And we need the Word and the Spirit of Christ, Christ to dwell richly in our family life as well as in our church life. Our homes need to be places where wives and husbands, children and father, if they're Christians, if they're following the Lord Jesus, if Jesus is their Lord, where they're acting as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ in these different roles. So wives, verse 18 Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Uh, have I just trodden on a landmine? Um, now, we live in a world where happiness is defined as submitting to no one but yourself. Don't you submit to anyone. You just submit to yourself. That's how you'll be happy. And if you subordinate yourself to someone, then you're basically accepting that you're inferior to them. Isn't that right? Isn't that how the world sees things? Well, before you react in total shock, please note how the sentence finishes. Submit to your husband's wives as is fitting in the Lord. Now, I think the word or the phrase in the Lord means, if you like, as a Christian, as someone who is trusting in the Lord, walking with the Lord. Who, who submits to Jesus as Lord. Remember, this is one of the great things that Paul is trying to get across in this letter, that, that as you receive Christ Jesus, the, the Lord, so walk in Him, so live with Him as your Lord. Now, one of the great temptations of a, of a wife, says he, as a husband, <laughs> but tell me if you think this is right, is to disrespect her husband. So the wives of this world, are they meet to talk about their ridiculous husbands, don't they? They meet for coffee and say, oh, my husband, oh, roll the eyes. Not the Christian wife. The Christian wife says, no, that's not the way I'm gonna talk about my husband. Because my role as a Christian wife is to be submissive to my husband and to speak respectfully of him. 
Now, I know that this kind of teaching can be abused, sadly, by some husbands and has been in history, but that's another day's discussion. Incidentally, the reason I went back to my seat right at the beginning is because on our book table, we're selling all those books off at half price, folks. Uh, God's Good Design, great book by an Australian lady called Claire Smith, what the Bible really says about men and women. If this is an issue where you're thinking, you can't just leave it there, John. How can you move on? Well, come down to the bookstore at the end and buy yourself at half price, God's Good Design. Great book on the subject. But to have Christ as your Lord, if you're a wife, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly means that you will submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. But please note, husbands, 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 listen up to this. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Loving your wife is not about having affectionate feelings or sexual attraction. It is about devotion to the welfare of your wife. It is about self-sacrifice. Remember how Paul in Ephesians 5 talks to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Do you remember how the sentence goes on? And gave himself for her. How did Christ give himself for the church? On a cross. He sacrificed his life for the church. So the model for the Christian husband is to sacrifice your life for your wife. Couldn't be clearer. That's what Christian love is for a husband loving his wife. So the question the Christian hus husband asks when he says, is the word of Christ dwelling in me richly? Am I walking with Christ as my Lord, the one who saved me and gave himself for me? Is there any self-sacrifice in my relationship with my wife or none? Is there any smell of self-sacrifice? How am I caring for the welfare of my wife today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year? You see, what is the great temptation of the husband? Well, it's to be harsh with his wife, isn't it? Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Harshness in words, in tone of voice, in, in body language. Christian husbands, we must resist every temptation to be harsh with our wives. And if you're not married and you know people who are, pray for them that these qualities of a Christian wife and a Christian husband are manifest in them for the glory of God. And if, a, if God enables us as Christian husbands to be gentle and caring and self-sacrificial, in short, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, then we make it so much easier for our wives to submit to us. For they're submitting not to our authority, but to our love. Wives, husbands, children, verse 29. Sorry, verse 19. Husbands, sorry, where am I? Got the wrong typo in my notes, I beg your pardon. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Literally, this is pleasing in the Lord. So it's that same little phrase as at the end of verse 18, which I think suggests that Paul is thinking of children who profess to be Christians, who are in the Lord. So Christian children, if you, if you claim to be a, a Christian and you're a child, God is saying that if you want to please and honor the Lord who saved you, 
and obey your parents in everything. Now, of course, our relationship with our parents changes as we grow into adulthood. And as adults, we are certainly still to honor our parents. And I think that applies to the day we die as we speak of them. And obviously, well, normally they, they, well, we wouldn't be seeking it if they had. Normally they die after, before us, don't they, our parents, right? But we continue to speak of them for the rest of our days. How do we speak of them, even though they may be long gone? We still need to speak of them with honor. But for children who are dependents, and I think that's probably what Paul is talking about here, it's very simple. Our basic attitude should be, Mom, Dad, whatever you say, I'll do it. Because I'm a Christian, and the word of Christ dwells in me richly. Fathers, verse 21, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Is it not true to say that, generally speaking, fathers have an amazing ability to exasperate their children? When we had younger children, I could walk into the house, and in less than one minute, I could have all three of our children completely exasperated with me, and Joe joining the club. Um, What is Paul talking about? He's talking about things, I presume, like constant criticism of a child like harsh punishment or threats, like unreasonable demands. What are those going to do to your child? They're going to discourage them. If you're a father, don't do it. Seek the Lord's help not to be someone like that in your fathering. We have a loving Heavenly Father who is constantly encouraging us, being kind and gentle and patient with us, and we've got to grow more like Him. Fathers, So the gospel brings transformation in our family life. We need to be transformed. Finally, in our working life, verses 22 of chapter 3 to chapter 4, verse 1. Verse 22, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, that's probably a word that Paul made up, actually, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, and not for men, not for humans, knowing that the Lord will, from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving or serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and with God there is no partiality. Now, just in passing, I know this is a huge subject, but the word bondservants can be translated slaves, but don't think of the Atlantic slave trade. Don't think of Wilberforce and the abolition of the slave trade. This is slavery in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, and generally speaking, this was not so brutal. So it is a different beast, I think, we're talking about. I mean, for example, look back to verse 11. In the church, there are slaves and free. Bondservants is the same word. Um, So, you know, in church, on a Sunday morning, as it were, in Colossae, looking around the congregation, you'd have seen masters and you'd have seen slaves, both there, freely turning up to the church gathering. So a bit different from the Atlantic slave trade. But nonetheless, I I want us to see how revolutionary this teaching is, that bond servants in the church family should, should not only work hard when being watched or to catch their boss's attention, that's what eye service is, 
But, verse 23, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. When, many years ago, when I had a proper job, um, I found this verse absolutely wonderful in terms of helping me get the right attitude to my workplace. I used to have a little exercise I did. As I went up in the lift, uh, just outside St. Paul's Cathedral at the end of Cheapside, I'd go up in the lift to the fifth floor, and I would do a little exercise of, you know how lawyers are forever, they love to delete things and insert new wording. I mean, that was my job. I just went around taking documents and deleting things and writing other words in and got paid for it. It was wonderful. Um, and uh, one of the things I would do, I would take, in my mind, I would take my contract of employment and I would put a, a pen through the name of my employer, the firm that I worked for, and I would insert, with a little bubble, so always put a little bubble around it, uh, I would insert the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as I emerged from the lift and walked along the corridor to my room, I would sing, John, this is a great day. You're going to be working today for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Isn't that wonderful? And it would transform my attitude to work. And I tried to do that every day that I remembered. So why don't you give that a try in your workplace? Now, you may say, well, I, I'm not employed at the moment. Okay, well, if you're self-employed or unemployed, and if you're unemployed, I know I had a period unemployed, and you try to use the time well, don't you? You try to be productive. Or maybe you're retired. Talk to me in a few weeks' time. And, uh, you know, you try to use your time well, and be, they tell me you're even busier. I'm trying not to believe it. Um, or if you're working as a mother and you're changing nappies, that's your work. Think about doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ, working heartily. I'm going to change this nappy for the Lord. Heartily. I don't know what heartily looks like changing a nappy, but I'm sure you'll work it out. Um, this is a revolutionary freedom. We're free. We're not serving other people. We're not trying to impress other people. We're not even trying to impress our earthly boss. We're trying to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're free from the rat race. We're not worried about that. We're, we're free from the fear of being overlooked for promotion. We're free from the fear of experiencing injustice in our career or not having a career at all. It's fine. We're serving the Lord in whatever we do, and we do it wholeheartedly, working heartily as for the Lord. And finally, very briefly, masters, are you a boss? You are not a free agent to do as you like. You are not accountable to no one apart from yourself or your shareholders. No, you are accountable to a master in heaven. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So how does walking with Christ Jesus as Lord affect our lives? Answer, it changes everything. And we must let him transform our church life. This is an exhortation of the Apostle Paul. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let that word, let the Spirit of God transform church life, family life, working life. How? Through that gracious indwelling of our wonderful Lord and Savior, King Jesus, who comes into our lives by his word, by his Spirit, and begins to renovate us from top to bottom, no expense spared. Let's pray.